We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good evening and welcome to the Hoosier Huddle Podcast. I'm Sammy Jacobs. Along with me is TJ Inman, and we're here breaking down Indiana's 33-31 win over Western Kentucky uh, that was on the road in Bowling Green on Saturday night. A bigger test coming up this Saturday night, uh, October 2nd at 7.30 p.m. The game is on ESPN. Under the lights at number four, Penn State. Uh, the early season schedule for Indiana, we knew it was hard, uh, but it has gotten a lot more difficult on paper uh, with these early season Big Ten games, uh, TJ. Going back to Western Kentucky, let's look at that game real quick. Uh, but first, how are how are you doing? Doing very well. Yeah, it's um, Western Kentucky was a uh, a game that I, I feel like we were properly cautious of of that contest going in. I, I know the IU coaches uh, had a lot of respect for what the Hilltoppers could do on offense, and that you know came to fruition. Um, I, I think that we attempted to, to let people know, like, hey, this is a really difficult offense to go up against. IU is not going to play another team uh, that runs that type of scheme all year. Uh, so it was a very interesting game, one that, you know, was, was very stressful. It was interesting because IU really – had control of that contest right at the start where it felt like, okay, maybe this is not going to be what we thought it was. Maybe it's just going to be a, you know, a standard laugher uh, of a non-conference game, but um, it became clear pretty quick. Once Western Kentucky got into a bit of a rhythm on offense that uh, we were going to be in for a, a difficult night. And that's, that's what happened. I think Indiana made just enough plays on both sides of the ball, the offense getting it done uh, late when they absolutely had to, getting a couple of key first downs, um, and then the defense getting a couple of stops late uh, to, to get out of there with the victory that was uh, very hard-earned and also very costly as IU lost D.J. Matthews for the year. We'll talk about what that means. But um, overall, statistically, a really odd game to look at. I mean, how often do you see a team with 35 first downs? That's, that's an absurd number of first downs. And what that does, that tells you two things. In the positive sense, it tells you that IU was doing a really good job of moving the chains. Obviously, you get 35 yards or 35 first downs. You're doing a very nice job of keeping yourself out of negative plays and moving 
forward. However, you're not doing a very good job of getting any explosion on offense whatsoever. Uh, Indiana was really, if you think of a, a sequence, first, second, third down, each sequence, IU was getting like 11, 12 yards, doing just enough to get a first down, but not quite enough to uh, have any explosive plays. It was a very odd game to, to watch in that sense. Indiana ends up putting up 507 yards with 35 first downs. I, I can't remember a game where IU had that many first downs. And only 10 drives to do it. Uh, so they yeah. averaged, you know, three and a half first downs per drive and, and basically 50 yards per drive, which, um, you know, if they converted a, a couple of those short field goals and touchdowns, it's a whole different story and people are feeling a lot better. Uh, and that's one thing. I think the fan base is undervaluing this win. Uh, you know, they, they say they're we're too dependent. I use too dependent on on big plays, but yeah, they had 15 explosion plays that are categorized as runs over 10 yards and passes over 15. But there were not any real home run plays, so it, it's it's odd what this fan base is thinking uh, and, and things like that. But it's okay. Um, you know, they're, they're not our boys. We, we've watched the games ourselves. Uh, very costly game in terms of injuries with DJ Matthews going out. I think that kind of changed the offense, too. He's a guy who in the red zone would be um, a, a big factor. And, and I think IU puts up more than 33 points uh, if he does not go out of the game. Uh, for those of you yeah. who missed it, uh, it was announced today that he tore his ACL. He's out for the year. It happened on a punt return, a non-contact, just misstep on a, on a punt that went over his head. Uh, you know, he didn't misplay it, uh, really. He, he, you know, it went over his head. It was a tough catch, uh, and he was trying to cover it and, and misstepped, and, and his knee just went out. Uh, and then we'll see who steps up there. We'll have an article coming up this week as well on that. Uh, another injury that that people aren't talking about. David Ellis went out early. He should be back, but he's been banged up um, for the better part of two seasons now. And he's a guy who could slide into that slot role that, that DJ um, Matthews was in. And also Jalen Williams went down with a concussion. Allen said today he was progressing well through concussion protocol, but uh, IU tends to be on the longer side of concussion protocol. I I wouldn't personally expect him back against Penn State. If it is, if he's back, great. Uh, but we've seen seen it before where um, you know plays that looked a lot uh, a lot less worse, uh, a lot less bad than than what happened to Jalen Williams uh, lasts a lot longer. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. Uh, those are the big big injuries uh, to talk about, but overall it's a, it's a win. It was a road win uh, against a, you know, a, a crowd that had set the stadium record for, for attendance, even though it's only like 22 or 23,000, there's a blackout. Uh, they were loud. They wanted to win. That offense was spectacular uh, for Western Kentucky. They really know how to run the air raid uh, with the veteran quarterback and, and wide receivers who have been together forever along with the offensive coordinator. So uh, I think it's it's not the greatest win in the world, um, 
but I think it is an undervalued win. It, it gets you back. It gets IU back on track uh, and heading to Penn State where they'll face the number four Nittany Lions under under the lights. And as just as a pure college football fan, I can't wait to see a night game at Happy Valley. Um, it stinks that it's going to be against IU. Uh, but, hey, yeah. stranger things have happened. But it, it's going to be awesome. I think it's a stripe out. That's what um, our other writers on, on, on the site were saying in, in our group text. Um, what can – what is – if you're looking at it as a fan, TJ, what do you need IU to do at Penn State that'll make you feel confident uh, that this team has turned it around since Iowa? I think being competitive into the second half, and by competitive, um, I, I mean first you got to get out of like the first five, 10 minutes of that game where you're still very much in it. Uh, I think we all remember you go at Iowa immediately get punched in the mouth once, twice, three times you're down 14, nothing and never really even looked like you were close to getting back into that game. So I think having the first five or 10 minutes where you just settle into the game and still be in it after that, that's progress from where we saw in week one. And then I think taking that further, getting into the second half in that environment where you are right there, really making them work. I would feel better about things than I do uh, at this present time. Um, the, I don't think that expecting to go there and win, now this, this is obviously not the mindset the players and coaches need to have, but honestly what we think about it has truly no impact on the game whatsoever as much as I'd like to consider that my pacing and, uh, you know, if I use doing well, I don't change the channel even on commercials. I'd like to think that that matters, but I, I know deep down it doesn't. So what we think about it doesn't matter. But our mindset I don't think going there expecting a win uh, is all that realistic. So for me, it's showing more competitiveness. I want to see from the offense, how do you replace the explosiveness that DJ Matthews brought to the offense? Because I think what we're left with now is a lot of, not big-bodied guys, but possession-type receivers that IU has now. They are good players. Uh, and Ty Freifogel, you know, we, we criticized him after the Cincinnati game, rightfully so. We also need to rightfully give him credit for, I thought he played very well uh, against Western Kentucky, stepped up, made some really nice catches uh, in key spots that helped Indiana secure that victory. But he's not an over-the-top guy that's going to beat a defense, get past the corner, get behind the safety, and make a huge play. That's just not going to happen with Fry Fogel. It's not going to happen with Miles Marshall very often. Um, I, I, I wonder which guys are going to step up 
if IU has them on the roster right now that are ready to contribute, we don't know that. Who's going to step up and be able to take the top off of a defense, make an explosive play? Uh, you know, we saw uh, Stearns for Western Kentucky. He is quick in a way that I don't think IU has on their their roster right now that we've seen at wide receiver. That he he could take a five yard tunnel screen completion and turn it into 30 just by getting through a little window and being faster than everybody else. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to see how Indiana is going to address that. Tom Allen said today at his media availability, uh, he mentioned a few names, Malachi Holt Bennett, uh, Jacoby Hewitt, who we saw a little bit in that second half. That was good to see. Uh, and then uh, Jordan Williams. So, some receivers that we haven't seen any of that are going to be asked to to maybe make some plays. They have to find the ability, whether it's through scheme or personnel, to make some big plays because you are not going to be able to control the ball with an offense that's moving it uh, just methodically down the field. That's not going to happen against Penn State. It, it will not happen against that defense. The Penn State defense is closer to the Iowa-Cincinnati defense than we saw from Western Kentucky. Much, much closer to those two really strong defenses. So we're going to have to see what progress the offense has made, what progress Michael Penix has made from the games against Iowa and Cincinnati to Saturday night in Happy Valley. That's going to be the key thing to look for on the other side of the ball how does Indiana slow down the receivers, Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson, who are probably the second best duo uh, that IU is going to see this season. It's going to be a huge challenge for IU, uh, the secondary, and they've got to get pressure on Sean Clifford. We've talked about this before. If you don't get pressure on the quarterback and they have good receivers, that offense is going to win out 95% of the time. It does not matter how good your secondary is if you can't get pressure on the quarterback. So those are kind of the, the two key things that stand out to me uh, heading into Saturday night. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's going to change the offense a, a little bit in, in what you do. And, you know, you saw the, the trick play, the double reverse flea flicker, uh, whatever you want to call it, that, um, they ran on the, I think it was the first drive. It's yeah. The first drive with, with DJ Matthews and things like that. It just takes, takes yeah. away a player that, you know, you have to, the defense has to respect. And if they don't, he could take the top off. It also takes away a real weapon in the punt return game. And, and we've been talking about this as a group TJ as well. Well, now your depth of punt returner takes a hit too. Uh, yep. Your depth of corner has taken a hit a little bit with injuries so Reese Taylor returning punts it's I mean he's really good at it as well but you also need him he's more important to the secondary than he is uh returning punts so maybe they they fill somebody in there as well uh so we'll see but you know going into that might be I don't I don't even know have we seen anybody else take a crack at that I I can't think of a, another guy outside of Reese 
or um, or Matthews that we've seen back there in the past this season or last. And I, I, I'm sure I'm wrong about that, but uh, is that something that Hewitt is capable of doing? Uh, he's kind of the next guy up that I would think of given, you know, that he, he is on the kickoff return side. I, I don't know, but I, I'm not comfortable having Reese. You're right. He's very good, but I'm not comfortable having him back there with Jalen Williams already out. Yeah, it's probably I'll when we get to the game I'll look at warmups and I honestly I was not paying that much attention to who the third string punt returner was in warmup oh. last week because I didn't think that I would have to know, but um, yeah maybe Jacoby Hewitt he's been returning kicks uh, there as well maybe you put uh, Tim Baldwin's been fumbling a lot. Um, oh. They- and, and things like that. Maybe put Javon Swinton back there. Um, maybe bring one of these these freshmen along. Uh, Deshaun Brown is supposedly the fastest guy on the team. Uh, he hasn't played a lot, so maybe maybe you, you put him in there. Do you go with the you know Brian Fitzgerald returned to kickoff earlier this year as, as an up guy on the kickoff team? Do you do you look you know to somebody like that? Um, and and have you now switched your focus as a coaching staff to largely just saying, all right, we're we're just looking to fair catch these now? Uh, I doubt it. You know, I, I don't think you want to do that because you're giving up yardage. But uh, it, it's going to be an interesting thing to play out. Of course, we hope we see a lot of it. Uh, hope we see a lot of punt return, you know, so we can analyze that because that means I use defense is getting stops. Um, that that's going to be one of the interesting things to, to play out. I want to ask you, uh, I, I thought Stephen Carr looked, looked good uh, on Saturday night. I thought that he, um, I thought he ran the ball well. I thought he ran it very hard. Uh, it was tough to bring down for Western Kentucky. Do you feel like the IU coaching staff, and perhaps this is a Dalen McCullough thing, um, do you think that his usage rate is going to go up as the season goes on, or do you think that they are carefully monitoring how much they use him? Uh, we saw some instances down inside the, you know, the 10 yard line, even that Chris Childers uh, was in the game uh, getting snaps instead of Stephen Carr. It, it didn't last very long and Carr got back out there, but um I, I do wonder if they are carefully monitoring kind of his usage and if you think that'll go up, but uh, I, I think he's um, pretty key part of this offense. I think he's looked good so far. Yeah. Uh, he's run the ball 87 times in, in four games, which I, I'm not sure how that would compare with, with Stevie Scott. Um, but the next, the guy in line is Tim Baldwin at 27. They just don't run the ball as much as they throw it. Um, actually, yeah, and kind of that was Idaho too. Actually, that's not true. Indiana has run the ball more than they've thrown it, but it doesn't seem that way. Uh, kind of it's Idaho though. Idaho was so skewed. Yep. To to running, but but yeah, it's here's the thing with Stephen Carr. I think he had 25 carries against Western Kentucky. That's probably 
on the high end of, um, you know, uh, that's the high end. Indiana against outside of Idaho, they don't have more than 40 rushes per game. Uh, they rush 31 times against Iowa, 37 against Cincinnati, and 39 against Western Kentucky. So he's getting the majority. He's getting two-thirds of the carries. I don't know how much you can increase his workload because he's also catching balls out of the backfield now, which is fantastic. Um, yes. But I, I, he has five catches. So that's over 90 touches already. And you're a quarter way through the season. He's not going to get the ball 400 times. It's just that it doesn't happen anymore. So they need somebody else to, and I think they're trying to figure out who they trust. And I think um, Tim Baldwin's got to be falling out of, um, out of favorite, uh, you know, out of favoritism there. Uh, he's fumbled twice. Last week was a, they, they were lucky to get that ball back, but that would have been another crucial four, fourth quarter fumble. Um that I that he would have given up, and it, it probably cost them the Cincinnati game as well. But do you, now with David Ellis moving to wide receiver, does he get that? But you know, there's a lot of they haven't used David Holloman as uh, at all. He only has one carry um, or five carries uh, for ten yards. They have used Chris Childers. He has seven attempts. Uh, Davion Irvin Poindexter has six attempts. So running back depth is going to come into, into play. And that's something that, you know, if you're going to control the game or try and control the game against Penn State, you have to be able to run the ball. Uh, and yeah, uh, that's what, that was the key to the Western Kentucky game. IU held the ball for nearly 40 minutes, held Western Kentucky to nine drives and they, they scored on theirs and give them credit but you limited their opportunities to where IU five field goals or four field goals really helped IU. So we'll see. Um, my expectation for Penn State, TJ, to get back on that question, um, you're right. It's You have to be better than you were at Iowa. and You can't be much worse uh, than you were against Iowa. Can you, no. can you come out and show that you belong on the same field as Penn State and Penn State has been foaming at the mouth to get another shot at Indiana because last year they think that game got stolen from them and they it did I mean they had an eight point lead um you know an eight point lead with a couple minutes left and they, they had like a 95 percent chance of winning and if they had just taken a knee at the one they win that game yeah it kind of got stolen but they think the refs gave it to Indiana and, and, you know, it's a little taste of their own medicine. Um, so they're foaming at the mouth. It's been in their head all summer. I can't tell you how many Penn state fans have commented either on the site, on Twitter or social media. And so they're going to be hyped and ready to go to prove that last year was a total fluke uh, and to continue their, their run maybe to a big 10 title and a college football playoff berth this year. Uh, but you, be competitive, make it a game into the fourth quarter and see what happens. Because I used played Penn State pretty well the last few years, even going into Penn State uh, and having a chance to win, even though it's a place that they have never won before. 
and it's going to be – they've never played a night game there. It is a different animal at night uh, than it is at a, a sleepy noon game in Happy Valley. So just make it – get out of there healthy. Make it competitive through the fourth quarter. And if you just don't shoot yourself in the foot, if you – if Indiana plays to the top of its ability and Penn State still beats them, there's nothing much you could do. That's just – but if it comes out like Cincinnati and Iowa where you go, IU, you, we all know that IU can play better, and that's what stings. It's when that happens and you make those mistakes and lose, that's when it hurts the most. Teams are going to be better than IU. That's just a fact of life. Um, and if they both play their A games – Penn State's probably going to win. Um, you just hope that it doesn't turn out like a couple of trips where they they return an opening kickoff for a touchdown or there's an early turnover and, and things like that and get this crowd absolutely bonkers uh, besides that. TJ, what's your matchup to watch uh, against Penn State? Yeah, I'm going to go with IU secondary. Um, you know, we can – narrow it in on Reese Taylor and Taiwan Mullen going against uh, Penn State's receivers. Jahan Dotson is one of the best in the country. Already 27 catches, 362 yards, and four touchdowns. Uh, Parker Washington, uh, kind of his number two, 23 catches, two touchdowns, both averaging over 13 yards a catch. And they've got a couple of other guys as well, mainly Keandre Lambert-Smith, who's averaging over 18 yards a catch on 11 receptions. That's a lot of numbers. To boil it down to the simple statement, their receivers are really, really good. And their offense makes good use of those receivers. They will take a lot of deep shots. They will try and stretch the field vertically. Secondary is going to have to be on their A game uh, on Saturday night. So that's my, my matchup to watch. A secondary one, Michael Penix looked better uh, against Western Kentucky, particularly that second half. He made some throws uh, that, that made you kind of, you know, raise your eyebrows a little bit. It, it looked like Michael Penix from 2019 uh, and early 2020. It, it looked like uh, a guy that, that could lead Indiana to some upset victories here moving forward uh, because he was thrown with that velocity again. It looked like he had some confidence back. Um, and I, I think that there's definitely something to be said for that. He needed that. Um, I want to see it against a good defense now because Western Kentucky, they are, I think, a legitimate threat to win Conference USA. I think that offense is going to score on everybody they play. But the defense is not very good. Indiana moved the ball at will until they got down in the scoring territory, and then they had to settle for a lot of field goals. I want to see Michael Penix do that performance, uh, improving red zone efficiency, obviously, but against a good defense, and we're going to get that test on Saturday night. Yeah, absolutely. My matchup to watch is going to be uh, Indiana's ability to get takeaways uh, and to to rattle um, Sean Clifford. Uh, 
he's been playing really well, uh, Penn State's quarterback. Last year, you know, coming into the season, he was a big question mark. And one of the reasons why Penn State was so down in the rankings and um, he probably was seen as holding him back. He has a history of throwing interceptions. Uh, he's only thrown two this year. Can Indiana's defense get back to creating those those takeaways? And I think that comes with Indiana's defensive line going against Penn State's offensive line. And can they get pressure? The ball's not going to come out as fast as it did last week. Can they get pressure? <laughs> Excuse me. Can they get pressure with Ryder Anderson and Jaron Handy uh, and those guys to force Sean Clifford to make those same mistakes that he has in the past against IU? That's my matchup to watch. Uh, TJ, your key to victory. If Indiana's going to walk out of Happy Valley on probably early Sunday morning, uh, with a win for the first time ever, what's got to happen? Uh, well, a lot is going to have to go right. Uh, to boil it down to one simple thing, I think you mentioned uh, takeaways. I would choose between that or red zone or scoring territory efficiency because it's not even red zone really. It's like the 30 and onward. Anytime IU gets into scoring territory, they've got to get points, and more times than not, those need to be touchdowns. Uh, they are not going to have the number of successful drives that they had against Western Kentucky. The hope is that they will be able to convert more drives into touchdowns than what they had to settle for at the field goals, which credit to Charles Campbell. He was great again on Saturday. Um, you know, he's a weapon to have for sure. And I'm not suggesting that IU needs to start going for it on fourth and two from the, you know, the 30-yard line. Not suggesting that. Sometimes that's appropriate. Sometimes you take the points, especially when you have a kicker as reliable as Campbell. But what the offense needs to do is find some ways to punch those drives that get to that 30-yard line, that 25-yard line, and stall out. They've got to figure out a way to get those beyond that and into the end zone for touchdowns. Um, so I think that scoring zone efficiency is going to be uh, something to really, really watch for, not just against Penn State, but the rest of the year moving forward. It's something IU really has to drastically improve at. Yeah, and that's something I thought IU did really well against Western Kentucky was, hey, we're not going to get super-duper aggressive. We need the points. Uh, and yeah. it took a lot of I, I don't want to say it took a lot of guts to do it, but it probably you fight the feeling of, hey, we could get these two, three yards uh, and yep. forego the field goal. But I thought it took a lot of self-discipline to say, hey, let's get trust our kicker. Let's get these three points. Uh, and it ended up being the difference in the game. Uh, so they can't. And some, sometimes it's okay to settle for field goals. I probably should have done that against Cincinnati, and they, they, they learned their lesson. But against Penn State on the road, you know, if it's fourth and one, early in the game, you probably take the three. But later in the game, you're probably going to have to go for it and, and try and score seven uh, and things like that. So it, it's, it's going to be a tough one. What's your uh, what's your prediction for Saturday? Well, 
Uh, I have not seen the over under. I know Penn State opened at, I want to say 11 or 11 and a half. Is that accurate? Uh, 11 or 11 and a half point favorites uh, over the Hoosiers. I do think Penn State's going to win this game. It is difficult to predict uh, something that has never happened before. So it's difficult to project an Indiana win in State College. Uh, but I, I, I do think IU is going to play pretty well. Uh, for whatever reason, I think that they do kind of match up fairly well with Penn State's personnel and schemes. Uh, ultimately, Penn State's personnel just ends up being a little more talented. Um, and like you said earlier, if, if you play your best and Penn State just beats you, I, I think we can all handle that. Now, the issue is it drops you to two and three, uh, but you'll be able to go into your bye week looking at the next game against Michigan State, feeling like you've got some things figured out uh, and that you can go into that game with confidence. So I think IU is going to play well. Uh, Penn State, though, comes out with a victory. I'm going to go Penn State winning this one uh, 30 to 20. 30 to 20 in favor of Penn State. So I think the under is at 52, so you'd be under. Well, that's no fun. You yeah. don't, uh, don't get enjoyment betting the under in college football, let me tell you. No. Uh, anyway, my prediction, TJ, is a lot like yours. It's hard to predict an Indiana win in a place they've never won before, especially given how they've played on the road against top 25 teams this year. Uh I, I'm going to go. I think Penn State has a lot going for them, even though their wins really haven't been that impressive. Um, you know, they, they won at Wisconsin, and Wisconsin's having a lot of trouble. They won that 16-10. to 10. Uh, They beat Ball State, who's now 1-3. Uh, they beat them by 31 points. They beat an Auburn team who had a lot of trouble with Georgia State last week at home, 28-20. Uh, and they beat FCS Villanova, who's usually a very good FCS team. They beat them only by 21, uh, 21, 38-17. So, you know, it's there's a lot of craziness going on in in um, in college football this year, and it shot Penn State up the rankings to four. They got a lot of credit for that win at Wisconsin, which they should. That's a good win for them, even though Wisconsin's kind of down. But what do we really know about Penn State heading into this game? Uh, and, and really, what do we know about most of the teams in college football heading into week five? We'll, fi we'll find out soon. I think Penn State's going um, to take the win. I'm going to take them 31, uh, Indiana 20. Uh, so just right off of that, uh, TJ, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and one point that uh, I, I do want to make sure that we mention, um, Andy Hipskins, Indiana's chief medical officer, which um, is just a title, uh, but, you know, he, he did have a lot of interaction with uh, student-athletes on the football team. Uh, he had been the uh, football team physician uh, for the Hoosiers, and uh, he passed away from cancer uh, at the age of 48. Um, so if you're seeing 
AH patches on jerseys or helmets or hats. Uh, that that is for Andy Hipskin, and I, I know he meant a lot to a lot of people in the program, and it was a difficult loss um, for that community. And uh, thoughts to his family for sure. Um, I, I thought it was a very classy gesture of Michael Penix to um, mention him in his post-game interview, and and uh, you mentioned his family that that they were thinking of him. Uh, you know, this is, it is a game, it's football, and, and we obviously, you know, the primary thing that, that we focus on here as a site is wins and losses and uh, the performance of the team, but uh, I did want to mention that. I, I think that, um, that you know, it was a classy act by Michael Penix to uh, to mention him in the post-game uh, interview and bring some light to, to that tragedy, so... Uh, wanted to mention that before we move on any further. Yeah, and Tom Allen uh, mentioned him in the post game on Saturday night and how important right. he was to this team, and that he told Andy that he he this team is going to keep fighting, uh, just like he kept fighting against uh, against cancer, uh, albeit a um, an unfortunate end to that battle, but. It's something they're going to honor him all season, and I'm sure they're going to do something special uh, here in the next few weeks, maybe at homecoming, uh, at yeah. his home game. So it's something to keep an eye on, and, and our thoughts are go out to the Hipskin family as well because um, he was a, a huge part of that of the uh, football program. Anyway, TJ, that does it for tonight's show. Uh, thank you for joining us, as always, and uh, we'll be – previewing Penn State all week uh, with some player features as well. Again, the game kicks off at 7.30 p.m. on Saturday night under the lights at Happy Valley uh, on October 2nd. Uh, keep tuned in to HoosierHuddle.com. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier underscore Huddle. Join our Facebook and Instagram uh, followers as well. Uh, TJ, have a great week, uh, and we'll be back next week as IU heads into their open week uh, before hosting Michigan State for homecoming on October 16th. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening and please do check out some of the stuff on the site. There's uh, bull projections are up. I'm, I do those. I'm slightly more optimistic than most uh, for IU's chances right now. Um, not that I have them going to a great game, but I think we'd all take just a bowl game period at this point in time. And that's where I've got them going. It's to a bowl game. Uh, and then a lot of other really good articles from our other writers coming out. Uh, so give that a look and, and get yourself ready for big game Saturday night. Another chance for exposure for the program on national TV, which is uh, usually never a bad thing. Correct. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next Monday with a breakdown of the Penn State game uh, heading into the bye week. We'll give you something to listen to as well. Uh, thanks for joining us. Have a great week, and tune in Saturday night on ESPN at 730. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. 
and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.